On this episode of Give Me Some Truth, Keith and Clint talk the miracle of the Solo 401k and how that relates to the 1099 versus W-2 discussion. Welcome back to another episode of Give Me Some Truth. I'm Keith Ponywaz, joined by Clint Walkner. Clint, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Well, first of all, I'd like to talk about how Hannah just dressed me down because I wanted to hear everything in my studio monitors, and she basically told me, you don't have to hear that. And I feel like I should be able to hear myself, but I am sans headphones in the podcast booth, and now I feel like it's not going to be Are you feeling a little naked? I, I am. I don't know. We don't feel as official without the headphones, right? I don't feel naked and afraid. I just feel naked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you feel particularly official when you have the headphones on. Like, I'm doing, I'm doing real work here. That's right. It's like a real radio program. Yeah. Now I just feel like we're a couple of amateurs in front of a mic. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> draw your own conclusions there. Uh, but uh, so this weekend, uh, while well, you guys were off uh, enjoying... Uh, Distill America, one of the many events here in Madison. At the Edgewater, it was wonderful, uh, by the way. Yeah, I, uh, I watched one of my all-time favorite movies, relevant here to, to Madison, and I, uh, I think uh, relevant to things going forward, uh, Miracle. Miracle is one of those movies for me that anytime I'm flipping channels and it appears, particularly if you're before the again scene, I have to watch that movie. I, and I know how it ends, but I, I still have to watch it. Uh, for me, that movie's Caddyshack, but I'm glad that you have your miracle. Well, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, you know? But uh, one of the things you notice about a lot of those guys is they went on to start, uh, and I think of Michael Ruzioni, who the joke is probably hasn't paid for a dinner in 40 years. Uh, he, like, started a consulting firm, right? It was, like, you know, gold medal speechifying or something like that. And uh, I forget who the other one is, but uh, Jim Craig also does, you know, he was a scout for a while, but he also does, like... Uh, you know, some sort of um, uh, consulting work, you know, teaching team team spirit to businesses. And uh, what that also led to is what we were talking about today, which is what happens when you go from an em- being an employee to being an employer, even if it's just of yourself, right? And this is something you and Nate have gone through, right, uh, starting up this business. Uh, so you can give us kind of some some insight, and we can also talk a little bit about some of the uh, financial tricks and, and uh, you know, setups, because we've all uh, worked on, you know, 401k plans and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, kind of kind of uh, let people in on, you know, in, in your kind of personal journey, what were some of the, the big things jumping out at you? Because I think what happens is people are so worried about the business itself, they don't think about some of the other stuff that we're there to help with. Yeah, kudos to you, first of all, for an incredible segue uh, into that. And secondarily, uh, I have been on both sides of this in my career, although I've spent the majority of my career as a 1099 employee or what some may consider to be a contract employer and then also uh, just a regular kind of employer that is has a little different structure. So I'll start first with explaining a little bit about the differences between the two. First of all, most people are. But, by the way, people should know probably up front W two versus ten ninety nine. You know their heads start spinning. W two is what you get as a regular old run of the mill employee. It shows your you know withholdings for Social Security, shows uh, any four hundred one k deductions, shows you know state tax and federal tax withholdings. What's a ten ninety nine? 
a 1099 is that you're more of treated as an independent contractor. So you actually pay both sides of that FICA, um, you know, which means that you're going to play the, pay the employer and the employee side of that. Uh, and you're treated more like an entity rather than an individual. So the advantage of having a W-2 income means that the employer pays that uh, side of FICA uh, for you. And so you don't have to be subject to that sort of expense. And that can save you some money there. And then also how you are treated in the eyes of uh, the law depends on whether you're W-2 or 1099. So said a different way, it, the employer can dictate hours and, you know, our schedules, you know, when you punch in, punch out, all that kind of stuff, a W-2 employee gets, it has to stick to a, a schedule in most cases, whereas a 1099 employee has a little bit more flexibility on when they can come in and the duties that they perform because they're technically not an employee, they're a contractor. So when I was working over at UW Credit Union's Investment Services Department, I was 1099. I was supposed to be able to come and go as I pleased and, uh, and do all that. Now, since then, since we left, um, they actually transitioned their employees over to W-2 employees. And, and I think that that's probably closer to what uh, they actually are because they're expected to keep certain hours, go to certain meetings, things like that. Here in uh, Walkner Cotton, we are uh, W-2 employees now as well. Uh, we used to be uh, 1099 contractors back in the day, and now we're, we're W-2 employees again. So, um, you know, with FICA, you know, you mentioned that the, the total bill on FICA is something like a little over 15%. And traditionally, when, you know, you're employed on that W-2, 7.6% or 7.7 paid by your employer. Once you go to the, the 1099, um, you know, you're paying that, that full boat, and that changes a little bit. Um, and then as well, you know, generally the things for a W-2 are pre-calculated out on, on withholding and so on and so forth. So you have to check that box, right? So there's a little, you know, if you go from 1099 or to 1099, a little more record keeping on, on your end, a little more at-home accounting. Um, what are some of the advantages for why someone, you know, and I think you, you had mentioned, um, you know, you, you've, we frequently talk to, to our, our clients who are maybe, if, especially if they're getting later in their career and their employer wants to keep them around, but, you know, says, hey, how about you go 1099 rather than, you know, W-2, we, we keep you on as a consultant. Or if people are thinking about starting their own business, what are, what are some of the advantages of that 1099? I mean, you're paying this extra, you're paying this extra tax. What are some of the advantages? Why, why might someone want to do that? There are some uh, friendlier tax provisions. Um, there's a, a pass-through, depending on what sort of entity you're going to be and everything, you can potentially qualify for a, a pass-through uh, tax break exemption. Uh, the other thing is usually you can see uh, higher incomes on the 1099 side because the employer is not paying for your benefits. Um, and that's a big difference between 1099 and W-2 in many cases. I mean, a W-2 employee, they don't have to provide benefits, but in most cases they do provide at least some benefits, uh, whereas a 1099 employee is not subject to those benefits. So usually you can get up to a higher income level in, as a 1099 versus a W-2. So in that regard, yes, you're paying both sides of, say, Social Security, but um, you're also likely at a higher income rate, so you're paying in higher on Social Security, so you're going to actually have a higher Social Security benefit later on, depending on how you're structured. 
another advantage that that it has there is, you know, if you can ask for that higher salary and a spouse of yours is carrying the other benefits, well, then, you know, you don't have the sort of double benefit situation. You have somebody that's earning a higher income as a result there. So, and then, you know, obviously scheduling and, and just flexibility because you may be able to work at two or three different contracts or projects all at the same time. And you also may have the ability to subcontract your work in many cases if you're 1099. If you're W-2, despite the fact that many people would like to do this, you can't actually hire somebody else to do your job. I can't? <laughs> so, no, not oh, not yet. Uh, okay. Switch you over to 1099, maybe you could subcontract some of that work, yeah. you know? So, so. The, the, that's a conversation for another uh, another episode. On benefits, that's an important consideration, right? If you, uh, your spouse or, or significant other, you know, you're in a domestic partnership, something like that, can get you insurance benefits in a lot of cases, that makes that W-2 to 1099 uh, change a, a real no-brainer. The other thing that can really help and, and something that we've helped a lot of clients with and, and we may want to talk a little bit about is you can, as a 1099, set up a benefit plan for yourself, right? Um, and, you know, there are a couple of ways to do that. There's the solo 401k. There's the SEP, uh, you know, SEP IRA. Uh, and even if you start subcontracting out of that work, you may look at setting up a small business 401k as well. Why might someone want to start thinking about those things? Uh, well, you actually can can actually save more potentially in those sorts of accounts uh, in a tax-protected area than you would be able to in a more traditional W-2 situation, and you're kind of subject to the match of the employer, uh, whereas all your contributions really, if you're doing an individual 401k, all your contributions are going to end up being vested right away because you're really making them on behalf of yourself, um, and you can save up to, I think it's like $56,000 this year in 2020 uh, towards those sorts of plans, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, there are some limits on the employee side. If you're over 50 years old, you can put in the full, you know, 24 or 25. Uh, is it 25? 25, I think, right? Yeah, 25 now. Um, and, and so you're okay there. And then, you know, the employer side, you're, there, you're subject to some limits uh, depending on what type of corporation you are. That's the kind of conversation probably best to have with your financial advisor because once we start throwing out letters like S-Corp and C-Corp and pass-through and LLC and, you know, double-seeker probation, people start, you know, their eyes start to glaze over. So that's that's a good conversation to have with your uh, financial advisor, with your accountant, because they'll tell you exactly how much on the employer side that you can contribute. Um, and I have, I have a, an actual uh, rule here because we were doing this off the cuff. Uh, the maximum a self-employed individual contribute to a solo 401k is, uh, let's see here. Oh, I just had 2019. Well, 2019 it was 56,000, and then catch-up contributions it was 62,000 for individuals uh, 50 or over, and it's even higher in 2020 here. So I'll get that to you guys in a minute. And the other nice thing about a, a solo 401k as well that you can set up, and it's slightly different than a SEP in this way, is you can set up a Roth portion. So traditionally with a Roth IRA, there's a, a pretty you know strong limit on how much you can contribute at what income level as well that you can contribute. If you're in a position that you're going onto a consultant kind of contract and say you're over 50, you can contribute up to $25,000 a year into a Roth IRA or 19000 if you're under 50. And those can add up. The other nice thing is one of the things that financial advisors, we always talk about, are 
many buckets, having buckets for your retirement, right? Oh, you want a brokerage bucket. You want an IRA bucket. You want a Roth IRA bucket. And here's a really easy way of giving yourself both of those buckets. Plus, I think for a lot of, you know, we talk as well about work optional lifestyle. If you're in that case and you're, you're, you know, uh, in one of these consulting gigs, that ability to stockpile Roth money is invaluable. I mean, because then, you know, it grows tax-free. If you ever pull it out, it's tax-free. If your kids pull it out, right, it's tax-free as well there. So I think that is a real big planning uh, advantage for that 1099 kind of idea. Exactly right. And to go into 2020 then, it's $57,000 is the maximum that you can contribute. Look at uh, us. And then it's... You got that one right. Yeah, and then 6,500 in catch-ups bring the total to 63,500. And now that is subject to certain income restrictions as well because um, you can do your own portion, the employee portion, but the employer portion depends on how much you actually earn as a business. So uh, to get up to those maximums, you got to be earning a fair amount of coin there in your business. But um, you know, it does allow you to save a lot in those. Whereas if you just got a traditional match, you might have to make after tax contributions to get you up to that maximum. And that's, that's the thing that people don't realize with W2 situations, you have your employee side, you know, where you can put in like 19 grand on the employee side. And then you've got the employer side, which is whatever their match is. And then there's that whole donut hole between that and the actual maximum that you can do. And you can hit that uh, it has to be payroll deducted, but then it's after tax contributions after that mostly. Here, it's not that, so you can save a little bit more. It is the advantage of being a 1099 versus W2. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, it, it, particularly depending on your circumstance, may make sense for you to change over. But it's also, as you're starting out a business, something you may not have, have thought about, even if you're working on a, as a you know, solo uh, you know, self-contractor. And that's the thing about the solo 401k is it's pretty much just got to be you and your spouse in the business or you or your spouse, uh, you know, but you can't have outside employees. You just have to be you um, in the business. And, and that they do for, you know, some of the, the protections allowed by uh, setting up 401ks and, and so on and so forth. So it's a good way of uh, maximizing your contributions if you hire your spouse on. You know, maybe she does the, she or he does the, the bookkeeping for your business. Uh, you know, you pay them a little little salary, and they can also defer some more cash. So there are some interesting things that that you can do with you know the the solo four hundred one k that as a ten ninety nine, you might come out ahead again even with the higher FICA taxes on your overall tax bill. That's exactly right, and and you know if you hire other people inside of your business, then you'd also have to decide whether or not they're ten ninety nine or W two, and and it really does come down to the structure, the longevity. Uh, you know, how much structure they're going to have around their own workday, how much you, quote unquote, own their hours. Uh, and then also, you know, what you're asking them to do and for how long. So, for example, my wife does a lot of shorter contract work. So my wife likes to date around a little bit. And so she goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope <laughs> So she likes to do, you know, six month to a year contracts with with businesses uh, in her e-learning uh, development uh, business. And so uh, she, she does those and then she'll stop. So that's why 1099 is perfect for that. She has gotten opportunities to say, do you want to be W-2? But guess what? You got to be, you know, you got to be on site then. And she might say, well, I really don't want to do that. So yeah. 
Um, those are some freedom things that she's determined herself that she wants to do because uh, you don't have s- those sorts of constraints that the W-2 offers. Uh, yeah, and I think that's something to consider as well if you're looking to get to that work-optional lifestyle. Ask, turning to your employer and say, hey, uh, what if I go 1099? You know, uh, I'm winding down. I got a couple of years to go. What do you think about me going 1099 so that I don't have to, you know, maybe for six months of the year I can work remotely or, you know, uh, work from the work from the country for three or four days a week um, and, and kind of change things up, shift things, you know, from when and where you're you're working and make it a little bit more amenable to, to what you're looking for in those final years. Now, for you working with expats and everything, have you found that more expats are 1099 than W-2, or is, um, doesn't it matter? It, it doesn't matter. If you're paid for by a local company, chances are your tax situation is completely different. You're not getting the U.S. reporting, and so you have to convert over. Um, one of the things that uh, a lot of people might not know is that you can, as a, an expat, if you're owning, uh, depending on how you set up your companies, a, a solo 401k is a really good option for you in a lot of situations. Um, particularly, you know, people, if they're working for a company in the U.S., they're 1099 here, but living elsewhere, uh, setting up a, a solo 401k is a great way to avoid, you know, being charged higher tax rates if the con- con- company or the, the country, pardon, has a, a tax treaty with the United States, you can defer more uh, into those because generally the pensions are covered. Uh, you know, you avoid paying local tax on those deferrals and so on and so forth. And that's one of the things that you want to look at and an experienced advisor can help you with is kind of peering through the, the tax laws because in certain cases, you know, a local uh, setup may not work for you, but you can use uh, a solo 401k to root money and, and defer more um, from you know the perspective of, of taxes, both in the United States and in the country of residence. Because a lot of times pensions are have language, it's uh, Article 18 generally in the treaties that deal with pensions and are specifically addressed. And, and there are some favorable things for American uh, expats that they can take advantage of in the context of the fact that, you know, they're still subject to citizenship-based taxation. The other thing that we've seen a, a big headache spring up around, and this is this is probably a whole separate podcast, is controlled foreign corporations. Um, because uh, Americans uh, are used to one idea of a, of a you know, corporation, um, which is to, uh, you know, in a lot of cases we use the pass-through, right? So the corporation is just there for, as a legal structure. Um, but for a lot of people in high tax jurisdictions, they use the cor- corporation as a, a, a buffer for uh, local taxes, the o- offshore uh, corporation. And so Americans, either from their corporations there moving to the United States or U.S. corporations moving to another country, can, can see themselves facing some problems. Um, but it's good to, you know, pay attention to these things and, and talk to somebody. I mean, each individual ca- case, particularly with com- corporations, companies, so complicated, you're going to want to talk to an accountant in a lot of cases. Yeah, as an accountant advisor in many of these situations, not just for expats, for, but for a lot of these people setting up these entities, we usually tell people, look, you're going to have to involve an accountant in this um, and make sure that that they're weighing in on it, somebody that's competent, along with your uh, experienced financial advisor to be able to help you out, um, being able to navigate which is which. I mean, here we have a bias, I'd say, I think it's safe to say, you've heard individual 401k a lot here. Um, We have a bias toward that over, say, a SEP IRA or a simple IRA. Uh, But 
uh, you know, there are reasons for that, um, namely loans and um, other protective things as well around those accounts uh, versus litigation and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's there's some nuance to it for sure. Yeah, and, and I think that's you know that's what we ke- you, you you keep dripping into this conversation. You're going to want to talk to your accountant because the, if you go 1099, you may get some tax deductions that you wouldn't get otherwise, and it may make sense to take because you can take them at the corporate level, right? And and you know, or you're governed by a different set of rules. So there's you know there's no one size fits all answer to this you know W two ten ninety nine kind of question. But if you are starting your own business, you know, getting it up and running, I mean, I think it's a time where it's good to have a conversation with your financial advisor about that, right? Um, because you're going to be probably running a deficit. You know, most businesses work as a J curve, and then you're you're putting money in, so. Um, that's, you know, where you're, you're kind of coming from. So it's good conversation to have. Any last thoughts, uh, Clint, on this, uh, you know, as someone who has started his own business that, you know, going W2 to 1099, you want to wave your hands and say, hey, think about this? Well, I'd say that uh, about 10 years ago, it was very clear that um, you should favor W2 over 1099. I think with some of the more recent tax code changes, that's not as clear anymore. Uh, because structure in your business and and uh, things like that are inherently important, and I think it's closer now than it ever was. It depends on kind of what you need for your own family and benefits on top of things. Um, and as we move more to a gig economy, more and more people are 1099, and I think that that's a new world that people are not quite used to, um, you know, paying quarterly estimates and other taxes and guess what you get used to it after a while i mean i've just done it for so long it's like yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. no i I think that's the the thing i mean i think this conversation of w2 versus 1099 we're going to see a lot more of this conversation as as the world changes um so thank you for listening uh clint can't can't believe it looking outside but spring training huh that's spring training go brewers all right thanks again for listening look forward to to talking with you all again soon Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures. Boom! Killing it.